Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. My name is Mung. And unfortunately, Los is unable to join us this week due to a death in the family. We uh, wish him and his family our best. And if you so feel so inclined, uh, feel free to show him some love on Twitter at FFA underscore Los. That's L-O-S. Uh, and instead tonight, uh, you get the treat of hearing me ramble on like a madman. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit with our producer, FFA Dan, as well. Uh, we'll hear his melodious voice a little bit here and there if he's got any strong thoughts. Isn't that right, Dan? I mean, I have a couple strong thoughts. Only two, though. Oh, only only two? Okay. <laughs> well, I'll create some more as we, as we talk. Well, either way, we, uh, we will get to hear his voice, a rare treat. But as always, we will start with our Gillette Close Shave of the Week. And this week, in a big NFC South showdown, Matt Ryan and the Falcons seem to be scoring on every other play. Whereas some other quarterbacks may have wilted under the pressure, Saints veteran and pro bowler Drew Brees willed his team to keep pace and eventually win 43-37 in overtime. Brees was magnificent in the effort, throwing for almost 400 yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, and the 39-year-old also threw in two rushing touchdowns for good measure. Get your close shave like Drew Brees with Gillette, the best a man can get. Want to try Blades for Less? It's easy. Just choose the right blade for you, order conveniently on the website, by email or by text, and your blades will get shipped right to your door. Start today and get $3 off your first order. So the first game here we're going to preview is going to be the Thursday night game, and it's going to be Minnesota at the Rams. Minnesota's offensive line had some major issues against Buffalo in the biggest upset of Week 3, and it unfortunately won't get much better for them this week. The Vikings are traveling to L.A. for a Thursday night matchup with the Rams, and I think if you don't have better options, Kirk Cousins could still have an okay night as a high-end fantasy QB, too. The Rams' defensive line is going to be an issue, but... They're also missing both starting quarterbacks, Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, due to injury. Cousins is going to be a risk-reward play, depending on if he has time to throw. Stephon Diggs disappointed, while Adam Thielen ate up targets during the route by Buffalo in Week 3, but they're still both fine wide receiver two options this week, despite the tough matchup here. Volume should make them a relatively safe start in PPR formats, regardless of the actual game score, And I also don't mind Kyle Rudolph as a low-end tight end one this week. The Chargers' tight ends combined for four catches for 51 yards against the Rams, and Jared Cook had a monster game against their linebackers in Week 1, so Rudolph has a decent matchup here. Given the short week and playing against a very good offense on the road, though, I I would consider benching the Minnesota defense, depending on your options on the waiver wire. They have not been playing well in general. On the Rams side here, uh, Los isn't available here this week to be the target of my gloating, but I did win our little bet from last week. Jared Goff handily outscored Phillip Rivers in Week 3, and I would keep Goff in your lineup for Week 4. Um, even though the Minnesota defense is uh, a little a little scary, but uh, like I said, they haven't been playing too well 
so far this year, and Sean McVay has shown that his offense just gets rolling. Um, so likewise, you can fire up all three Rams wide receivers this week. We'll see if Xavier Rhodes decides to shadow Brandon Cooks, but regardless, uh, I think this offense in general is too good to bench. I'm fine with starting Cooks, start Cup, and start Robert Woods, who had a big, big week in Week 3. Uh, I also like the Rams' defense here against a pretty hapless Minnesota offensive line. Um, again, despite the two cornerbacks potentially missing this game, probably missing this game due to injury on a short week, uh, I still like the Rams to get uh, at least a few sacks here. Uh, and speaking of, I will take the Rams at home. Dan, any thoughts on uh, your pick in this matchup? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Rams as well. Um, but do we do we care about the Minnesota running backs in this game? Considering I'm pretty sure Cook is still injured, or they have maybe they haven't updated his status yet. Yeah, um, it sounds like he's questionable. Uh, but my gut feeling here is that they're gonna hold him out in a short week um, against a very good team, unless they feel like they really need him to get the win here. Uh, if Cook starts, uh, I mean, I don't know that you can bench him. Uh, he's he's probably going to be a high-end running back, too, this week, assuming Cook starts. And uh, if he's out, then uh, despite the poor showing last week, I would still go back to Latavius Murray. Just on volume alone, he should be a high-end RB3 or flex play. All right, moving on to the next game. It's going to be Cincinnati at Atlanta, kicking off our 1 p.m. slate on Sunday. And Andy Dalton has been pretty good in fantasy ever since Bill Lazor took over as offensive coordinator here. Despite four interceptions against Carolina, he had a decent fantasy day, and he'll be a low-end QB1 heading into what should be a likely shootout in Atlanta. Uh, Drew Brees was the top overall quarterback this past week, and while I don't necessarily expect Dalton to repeat that kind of performance, there should be plenty of passing from both teams in this one. I would actually consider starting Dalton over a guy like, say, Kirk Cousins this week. Um, and A.J. Green, he missed a lot of the second half against Carolina with a groin injury. You certainly would feel better about Dalton here if Green plays, but it does sound like he plans to. Uh, the groin injury is reportedly minor, um, and assuming he plays, you're going to fire up Green as a mid-range wide receiver one. And if he plays, then I still have Tyler Boyd, a high-end wide receiver three or flex play here. He had a very big week um, this past week against Carolina. And I would say Boyd actually becomes a fantasy wide receiver too if Green were to miss this game. He's clearly being used as uh, the top option when Green uh, missed the second half there and uh, fire him up again. Why not? Gio Bernard uh, similarly filled in nicely for Joe Mixon, and Atlanta struggles to cover running backs in that passing game. Uh, Alvin Kamara had 15 catches against them this past week. That, that's, a, that's a wide receiver kind of stat line, um, and Gio Bernard could very well do the same. And then finally, while uh, Tyler Eifert is still going to be a risky start at tight end, he's starting to get more usage. Um, he's a decent tight end two streamer this week if you have been streaming tight ends all season or if you just lost a guy like Evan Ingram. On the Falcons side here, given how poorly their defense is playing, um, they just lost uh, their other safety to injury. They're now down both of their starting safeties and Deion Jones. Matt Ryan's going to have to keep up in games and throw the ball a lot. I like him again this week as a mid-range QB1. And while Tevin Coleman struggled a little bit to pick up yardage on the ground, 
he salvaged his day with a late receiving touchdown. Coleman's still going to be a good high-end RB3 or flex play here. As for Julio Jones, uh, you're not mad about 11 points necessarily, but it's certainly not what you expected when you drafted him likely in the first or second round. I recently had a conversation with somebody saying that I would rather have Juju Smith-Schuster in a dynasty league over Julio, and man, I, I think that calf injury really, you know, it kept him out of practice this past week, may have hindered his performance a little bit, but that's kind of what happens with Julio in the last few years. He's going to play through these minor nagging injuries, and, you know, he's going to struggle at times. You're still going to start him this week, but I would at least consider listening to some trade offers if you could get a guy, say, like Joe Mixon plus a wide receiver or maybe Kenny Galladay plus a running back. Uh, just, just spitting out some thoughts here. Calvin Ridley, the rookie, of course, looked fantastic and is going to be a top waiver wire pick that we're going to talk about later. And then he's a wide receiver three for me this week. Uh, Sanu got a touchdown but was otherwise quiet. Uh, He'll be just a wide receiver five. And then Austin Hooper was quiet as well despite a big offensive day, um, you know, for Atlanta in general. And as mentioned before, Hooper's just going to be a low-end tight end too that you can't really trust week to week. Matt Ryan's been on fire, and uh, I can't bet against him at home, despite a tough overtime loss to New Orleans. Give me Atlanta here. I'll take Atlanta. Um, I was going to say, like, does... I guess this is more of a dynasty question than a, than a standard question right now, but are we worrying that much about Julio Jones with Calvin Ridley here and his really great performance? Like, do we do we foresee this being... Not really the norm because three touchdowns is ridiculous, but do we see Calvin Ridley really dipping into Julio's production? Um, I, I would think otherwise. I, I would say, if anything, if Ridley becomes really good, then that will free up Julio a little bit deep or, you know, on those double teams that he generally has seen. Um, in, in terms of dynasty, when I'm saying that I'm selling Julio, I'm not saying that he's not going to be productive for the next two, three years. I just don't think that he's going to continue being in that elite top tier of wide receiver for, for that much longer. Does that make sense? I mean, I get it. I don't know if everyone else does. That's fair. I, and I mean, a risk roar trade, actually, Los isn't here to uh, to comment, but uh, I actually traded him, uh, Julio Jones, in our Dynasty League for Christian McCaffrey before the season. So clearly, I, uh, I do believe that Julio is facing that kind of drop-off soon. And Christian McCaffrey had 28 carries, or was it more? Uh, I, oh, I didn't man. see the game, but I saw the ticker I, show up, and I'm just like, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I can't remember the exact stat line, but uh, they certainly are, are staying true to their word about feeding McCaffrey this year, and, and I love it. Um, all right, let's move on to our next game here, which is going to be Tampa Bay at Chicago. Uh, Tampa's playing tonight. Uh, Fitzpatrick just scored another touchdown um, to, of all people, Cameron Brait, who I'm sure everyone who owns him has benched, but... That's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm excited to watch this game in general. I, I would consider shying away from P- Fitzpatrick a little bit on the road, but the Bears' secondary certainly had their lapses against Arizona. Um, Fitzpatrick's still an okay mid-range QB2 for me this week. Uh, he's going to be a little bit of a risk-reward play. Of course, just starting Mike Evans, and then both Chris Godwin and Deshaun Jackson are going to be those boomer bust wide receiver three flex play types. 
And then I had actually written that O.J. Howard's the preferred tight end play here between he and Cameron Brait, uh, of course, right after Brait scores this touchdown. But in general, the Bears do defend against opposing tight ends very well. Um, regardless here, I, th- I think I would still prefer O.J. Howard of the two, but he's still just a low-end tight end too. I don't know that I'm racing to start him. And on Chicago's side, uh, Mitch Trubisky's play has been inconsistent. He's still a young guy. Um, in in fantasy, I don't know that you can rely on him and start him. He hasn't really finished as a even a QB2. Um, of course, Jordan Howard has been able to overcome that. He's going to be a mid-range RB2 for me this week in what should be, uh, if not a, a leading game script, at least a close game script. And then Allen Robinson had a quiet day. Uh, he was facing off against Patrick Peterson for, for parts of that game. But he should be a decent low-end wide receiver, too, this week in a good matchup. Should get plenty of target volume. Tariq Cohen will be a low-end flex play, and Trey Burton a, a high-end tight end, too, here. Both of them have upside, but also low floors. Um, in general, I think this will be a fun back-and-forth game. But I can't pick against the Bears at home and, and Khalil Mack, uh, you know, just <laughs> racing to get the quarterback. Um, even against Fitzmagic, I will take Chicago here at home. I'm going to take Chicago as well because I'm a Bears homer. But I do have a question for you. So if you're an Allen Robinson owner, are you concerned that Taylor Gabriel got targeted 10 times and Allen Robinson only got targeted seven times in this past game? No, I'm not. I I think that was uh, in large part a product of Allen Robinson being matched up against Patrick Peterson for a lot of the day. Um, To Trubisky's credit, he still took some shots to Robinson, but uh, we all know that Patrick Peterson is still one of the best cornerbacks out there. Uh, I'm not too worried about Robinson based on week three's results. Can't talk here. Based on week three's results. Well, what about Anthony Miller? When does he take over for both of them? (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of, I I did forget to mention here that he suffered a dislocated shoulder in that game against the Cardinals. So uh, it sounds like he's going to be out for quite some time. Uh, Keep keep an eye on that. I don't think many people were starting him anyway outside of deep leagues. But again, that that could even boost the targets, you know, even more so for Robinson. I'm betting on a Kevin White resurgence right here. Jeez, uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> That's not gonna my, happen. My my heart hurts. I had such high hopes for Kevin White. But. I saw him in one of those games, and he was in solely to be a blocker. And I think that's the only snap I saw him in 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 all of these games. I mean, that's that's still. I mean, <laughs> he can still contribute. I just I I have very little faith at this point uh, in in Kevin White becoming what he was touted to be when he first got drafted. But enough of that. Uh, bear down. Let's move on to the next game here, Detroit at Dallas. Um, Stafford seems to be a low-end QB1 option, uh, pretty safe. Uh, even though Dallas has a better pass rush than New England, I wouldn't be too worried here. And then the Lions seem to have finally found a ground game. If you waited this long, it's probably too late to buy carry on Johnson now. But, you know, he's the first uh, Lions 100-yard rusher in about 294 years. Johnson should be a flex play here against the struggling Dallas run defense. The main reason I don't have Johnson higher is because the Lions do seem to insist on using a running back by committee approach uh, despite his ability to play on all three downs. And, uh, oh, man, just a busted coverage here. Uh, Vance McDonald with a long, long touchdown, reminiscent actually of O.J. Howard's long touchdown in week two. 
Um, whew, that's a that's a hot start for Big Ben. Seventy five yards and a touchdown here. But back to the Lions. Um, as I was saying, I, I like Johnson's ability. Uh, you know, he seems like the guy. They're just not using him like the guy. I don't know if Matt Patricia picked up that tendency to use a committee like uh, Bill Belichick has done for years and years in uh, New England, but. Anyway, uh, all three wide receivers here, also good starts, uh, much like the Rams wide receivers. Um, I have Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate both as mid-range wide receiver twos, and Marvin Jones is a high-end wide receiver three with lots of upside here. Um, we will revisit Galladay in the waiver wire section. He's going to be one of those crucial guys that should be owned in 100% of leagues and is somehow not. On the Dallas side here, uh, I will stand by my assertion last week that Ezekiel Elliott is the only startable Cowboys player right now in fantasy outside of deep leagues. Um, He'll be a mid-range RB1 for me in what should be a decent matchup despite Detroit shutting down the Patriots' run game. Uh, I will take the Lions here on the road, though. I'll take the Lions, too, because, oh, man, Dallas is just garbage. What happened to that team? Yeah, you know, it's funny because they actually were in the game at Seattle for for a while. They just uh, fell short, but that kind of seems to be uh, the the game script for them so this was, year. So was the entire – was their success over, success over the past few years entirely based on the fact that they had a great offensive line? Because that's how it sort of seems. I don't think so. Um, I mean, before Des Bryant kind of fell off, he was a very good deep threat and very good 50-50 receiver. And then even though Terrence Williams isn't the most consistent or flashiest guy, he was a legitimate deep threat, and he had some big, big plays. Um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily just the the lack of offensive line play here with all the injuries um, or the, the you know, Bryant leaving. I, I think it's kind of a combination of all those things. I think they should maybe give Bryant a, a call. I think he's a free agent, right? Well, I, I mean, also the the play calling just has been not great. I was uh, gonna bring that up. I, I actually haven't watched a lot of these to really feel confident in asking that question. But I was gonna say, is, is this the coaching? I mean, to be fair to Prescott, I mean, he doesn't have the greatest talent in terms of receivers right now. You got to remember they lost Jason Witten too. It's not just Des Bryant. Um, Again, I I don't know that there's one single fix, but I do know that they don't look good right now. (laughs) All right, the next game here is going to be Buffalo at Green Bay. Uh, And honestly, I'm happy for Bills fans uh, with that historic upset in Minnesota this past week. Uh, But that by no means means that I'm trusting in Josh Allen or his receivers in fantasy this week. Um, maybe you're starting Allen in a 16-team league or, or a two-quarterback format, but I'm not touching him in standard 10- or 12-team leagues. Uh, likewise, I don't trust Chris Ivory as more than just a desperation flex, even if McCoy misses another week. Right now it sounds like LaShawn McCoy's day-to-day with that rib injury. Um, really, Chris Ivory had that one long catch to make his fantasy day and otherwise had a pretty dismal 56 yards on 20 carries. If McCoy can return this week, though, I could I would consider him an RB3 or flex play. Um, there is a chance that McCoy could be productive if Josh Allen is even semi-competent leading this offense. And we've seen Allen's mobility, his ability uh, to you know hurdle defenders, and if he can draw away some of the d- attention from opposing defensive ends, then McCoy could be productive here. 
Um, he, but he's really the only viable fantasy option in Buffalo. None of the receivers did much. And despite knowing way too many random players and backup tight ends and practice squad wide receivers in my brain, uh, I had to Google who Jason Kroom even was, the backup tight end that scored that touchdown. Uh, there's no reason to pick him up. On the Green Bay side here, uh, their offensive line is much, much better than Minnesota's. And Rodgers has much better pocket presence under pressure than Kirk Cousins. Um, fire him up as a top three quarterback at home here. As for the running back by committee in Green Bay, I still firmly believe that Aaron Jones is the best back on that team. Um, I would think he would eventually take the starting job. He looked very good in his first game back on limited touches. But that said, I wouldn't start any Packers running backs if I can help it, given the uncertain split workload-wise. If I had to pick one, it'd be Jones based on talent, but he would still just be a desperation flex play this week. As for the receivers, uh, Devontae Adams here is going to have a tough matchup against Tredavious White, but I still like him as a low-end wide receiver one. Rodgers just keeps finding ways to get him touchdowns. And then Randall Cobb was awful, awful in week three. It seemed like every time I looked up at the TV, Cobb was dropping another pass from Rodgers. He'll still likely be a flex play, though, just given how badly Adam Thielen burned that Bills secondary when Minnesota was in catch-up mode. And then Geronimo Allison uh, remains that boomer bust wide receiver four. Only had the two catches, but one was for that long touchdown. And then Jimmy Graham will be a mid-range tight end one. He's a top target for Rodgers. Excuse me, he's not a top target for Rodgers, but he's getting enough work to be viable here. And let's not forget that Kyle Rudolph scored against Buffalo this past week. Uh, I will take Green Bay at home, barring another miracle for the Bills here. Are we sure Rodgers is 100% healthy? I didn't I didn't watch the game in week three, but I did watch the game in week two. And I don't know. He just he looks all right, but he doesn't look fine, if you, if you get what I'm saying. Um, I don't think he's 100% healthy, but he looked mobile enough. Uh, he had a couple scrambles there. Uh, I, I'm not worried about starting him as far as fantasy goes. I'll say that much. I mean, I'll take Green Bay, too. <laughs> like, you can't. I mean, Buffalo's not going to get – they're not going to get lucky again. I mean, what are what are the Super Bowl odds going to be like if Buffalo beats Green Bay this week? Exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> they're not good enough. Yeah, but, man, that would certainly be something, huh? Hey, who knows, you know, it could happen. All right, uh, oh, man, Cameron Bright with another long catch here. Uh, I might have to revise what I just said about uh, O.J. Howard and Cameron Bright, but we'll see. Um, next game here is going to be Philadelphia at Tennessee. Lots to talk about the Eagles here. Carson Wentz looked a little bit rusty early on in the game against Indiana or Indianapolis, um, but he settled in, finished with an okay day. Uh, and he actually looked pretty good running for a first down as well. So the, the knee doesn't seem to be an issue here. Um, that said, if Alshon Jeffrey's still out this week, I just have Wentz as a high-end QB2 on the road against a pretty good Titans defense. Um, if Jeffrey plays here, I'll upgrade Wentz to a low-end quarterback one. In terms of the running backs, Wendell Small would actually outproduce Corey Clement, but I'm not sure it really matters for fantasy. It sounds like there's a decent possibility that Ajayi and or Sproles could return this week. Assuming that both of these guys are going to play, uh, I, I would prefer Ajayi most of all, all out of the, all the Eagles running backs. Um, but even then, I would still just have him as a mid-range RB3. 
if Jeffrey plays, he would be a low on wide receiver too in his first week back, uh, and I would have Aglor as a flex play. But if Jeffrey's out, then I still have Aglor as a high end wide receiver three. None of the other Philly wide receivers are really startable. Uh, you're starting Zach Ertz as a top five tight end, but the big story here is going to be Dallas Goddard. Uh, I liked Goddard in, in the offseason and for Dynasty Leagues, but I would not overreact to this one big game. He's likely going to be kind of like how Trey Burton was last year, vulturing some touchdowns here and there from Zach Ertz, but he himself will likely be an inconsistent play week to week. Tennessee's not an easy matchup on the road, and Goddard is just going to be a low-end tight end too. Although we will keep a waiver wire watch on him because there's always the chance that he scores a touchdown week to week and he's one of those rare tight end handcuffs if anything were to happen to Ertz. Tennessee's side here, not a whole lot to talk about. Um, I guess Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis would both be desperation flex plays. Uh, and I guess Corey Davis would be a desperation wide receiver for, but I can't imagine feeling good about starting any Titans player right now, especially given the uncertainty with Mariota and Gabbert. Basically, avoid Tennessee if possible in fantasy for now. Um, despite the tough matchup here, I will take Philadelphia on the road. I'm going to take Philadelphia too. Um, what is up with Tennessee? On paper, they're actually a good team. Uh, I mean, they are a good team. They've won two games in a row with Blaine Gabbert. I mean, to be honest, that last game, what was it, 9-6? to six? Hey, a a win, hey, a win's a win in the National Football I, League. Yeah. Any any given Sunday, look at Buffalo and Minnesota. doesn't have to be pretty. just has to be a W. Whatever. They're still a bet. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't have hopes for Tennessee. Uh, no. They just seem like they'd be so much better. Yeah, I I don't uh, I don't either. It seems like every year there's hype on Mariota, but he inevitably ah, inevitably disappoints one way or another. Um, all right, next game here, um, an, an AFC sh- showdown again. It's gonna be Houston at Indianapolis. Texans fans are pretty unhappy right now, sitting at zero and three, but. Despite the suckitude, uh, Deshaun Watson has been a pretty decent fantasy QB1, so he's fine to start again this week. Lamar Miller has also been somewhat mediocre, but he's still a high in RB3, low in RB2 based on workload alone. Uh, of course, you're starting DeAndre Hopkins, and I think at this point, Will Fuller is a locked-in wide receiver too every week given the connection that he seems to have with Watson. Um, Fuller needs to be in your lineups. That's all I got for the Texans. On the Colts side here, Andrew Luck has been mediocre thus far, both on the field and fantasy-wise. He's just going to be a mid-range QB2 this matchup. Uh, it certainly was not a good sign for how they feel about Luck's arm strength when they put in Jacoby Brissett for that Hail Mary play against the Eagles. Uh, not a vote of confidence for him. And I'm not really sure what's going on with Marlon Mack's foot and or hamstring injury. We haven't heard too much about it, but honestly, I wouldn't start any Colts running back right now if I can help it. Because even if Mac does return this week, it's going to be a messy and inefficient committee. T.Y. Hilton's the only startable wide receiver on the Colts. Uh, he'll be a low-end wide receiver for me, wide receiver two for me here. And depending on what happens with Jack Doyle's hip injury, if he does miss another game here, Eric Ebron would be a low-end tight end one despite his inconsistent play, uh, just purely on volume. And if Doyle is back, I would have him as a low-end tight end two, and Ebron as a mid-range tight end two. Uh, really, uh, it would be a little messy, and you probably wouldn't want to rely on either of those guys. 
this should be another close divisional game, and uh, honestly, I will probably just go with the home team here. Give me Indy. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll take them too. Ah, well, no. Actually, I'm going to go with the Texans in, here, in this one. But both these teams have been rumored to be sort of going after Le'Veon Bell right now. I just wonder what your, uh, maybe what your input would be uh, if he was slotted in on either one of these teams. Do these, I guess, which team benefits more out of this? They're both middling teams. I would think, I would think that he would be a better fit, or fantasy-wise, he would do better in Houston uh, for two reasons. One, they have better deep threats to draw away attention here. Uh, on the defensive side, and two, because of Deshaun Watson's mobility, that would probably help open up some running lanes for him as well. That would be my take. Um, Of course, we'll see what happens with Bell, and we will talk about him a little bit when we get to the Steelers. Next game here, uh, a big game in the AFC East. Uh, Your Miami Dolphins leading that division uh, at the New England Patriots. Uh, I may regret saying this, but I think Rang Tannehill's a pretty decent mid-range QB2 option to stream this week. Um, you know, Tannehill's been playing well, and he scored 15 or more points every week thus far. The Patriots' defense is really struggling to stop the run or to generate any kind of pass rush here. I think Tannehill could have a, a pretty good week here. Uh, running back-wise, Kenyon Drake's the preferred guy, but he's a high-end flex play for me. Devontae Parker finally came back as well against Oakland, and Jakeem Grant had a huge game, but the only wide receiver I'm still starting here really is going to be Kenny Stills as a boomer bust wide receiver play, wide receiver three play, excuse me. And then Mike Gesicki finally did something, had a few nice grabs, but he's still not worth putting into your fantasy lineups until we some see some more consistent usage. And on the Patriots side here, uh, I'm honestly pretty nervous for them as a Patriots fan. The defense has looked awful, and even though Belichick's system requires some time for everything to come together on defense, there's a real chance that Miami wins this game. But that said, Tom Brady feeds and loves the negative comments about him and the Patriots being done. Uh, We've already seen some of that on the radio and on TV, and I I think that they're going to come out swinging in this game. They're, They're mad. I'd go right back to Brady, start him as a top five fantasy quarterback this week. Sony Michelle will be a flex play too as the likely lead running back. Um, Rex Burkhead may or may not play with a neck injury. Stay tuned on that. But even when Burkhead's been in, his usage has been inconsistent and he's constantly banged up. Michelle seems to be the lead back here. Um, and I would be okay with dropping Burkhead outside of deeper leagues. You're starting Gronk, of course, uh, although in hindsight, uh, it does make some sense that New England's former defensive coordinator of six years would know how to slow him down. Uh, I don't feel good about starting Chris Hogan, but the upside is still there. He's going to be a boomer bust wide receiver for this week. And if Josh Gordon is active for this week, he's going to be a boomer bust wide receiver for as well. Um, I don't know if the if the Gordon experiment's going to work in New England, but they desperately need it to. Somebody has to threaten downfield to help free up Gronk and the wide receivers underneath. Um, I still have faith that the Patriots' defense will get it together eventually, but uh, obviously the defense doesn't need to be owned in fantasy right now. I'm a little bit nervous here, but I will still take the Patriots at home. 
Man, do I, have to, I have to agree with you on all these. I'm going to take the Patriots as well, but it's because I have, I have more faith in you than you do in Josh Gordon, I think. I think he's, gonna, he's the missing piece of that team. But uh, what do you think, I guess, in, in fantasy, what do you do with, with James White or Hogan, with Edelman kind of on the horizon and, and Gordon about to get uh, mixed in? Like, what, what do you do? Do you sell them? Do you hold? You try to buy low, maybe? Try to convince someone that, oh, yeah, these guys are coming back, you know? Um, I Well, I have two different answers for these guys. Um, regarding James White, I would definitely try and sell him. Um, he had a, a pretty good game here, but if you actually watched it, uh, White rushed for like 30 yards on that last drive of the game when Detroit was already playing a, a deep quarter defense, really, um, to prevent any heroics from Brady. I would not count on this kind of garbage time for White going forward. Uh, and I, like I said, I do expect Sony Michelle to be the lead back for this offense. So I would definitely sell White if someone believes him in, in him as an RB2. Uh, and as for Chris Hogan, I'm not sure that you're going to find a buyer for him given that he's really only produced well in Week 2. Uh, his Week 1 and Week 3 stats were pretty bad. I, I wouldn't drop Hogan just yet, but... I also wouldn't say that he's a must-hold either in shallow bench leagues. Uh, it all depends on your situation, right? If if you've got other, two other startable wide receivers, then you can you know wait and see and kind of hope on Hogan. But again, if you need help now, if you're going to be zero and three going into week four or one and two, um, there are certainly some waiver wire options out there that might help you sooner than Hogan will. Is it really Sony? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say their name. I assumed it was Sonny because that sounds like a name. I'm pretty sure it's Sony. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Um, know. Yeah, if any of our listeners know otherwise, then, you know, ne- neither of us are big college fans, so I don't know that we've heard his name mentioned a ton in college broadcasts, but I do believe in the last night they said Sony Michelle. Um, all right, the next game here is going to be the Jets at the Jaguars. Sam Darnold uh, struggled against Cleveland's defense on Thursday night in general, despite the fact that both interceptions came at the end of the game in a desperate situation. Even though they got three extra days here to prepare for Jacksonville, I don't think it's going to be enough to make a difference. The only two players I'd even consider starting on the Jets are going to be Isaiah Crowell and Quincy Anunua. Even though the Jets have historically used Bilal Powell more on passing downs, Crowell got more targets and more receptions than Powell against Cleveland. So I have Crowell as a desperation flex play, and the same goes for Anunwa. Um, I don't expect the Jets to score many points against Jacksonville, but I do think Anunwa could still have some decent garbage time PPR points here, maybe a stat line like six catches for 50 yards on 12 targets or something along those lines. And on the Jaguars' side here, Jacksonville really reminds me of Pittsburgh sometimes in that they tend to play to the level of their opponent. You know, last week, Bortles torched the Patriots' defense in in Week 2 and outplayed Brady, but they fell apart against the Titans. Uh, Although credit to the Titans' defense for playing tough, you know, actually the Titans may be a fantasy defense to consider. Uh, Maybe if you drafted someone like Minnesota or New England, thinking they would be really good. Um just a side note there but back to back to Jacksonville here Blake Bortles uh, he's gonna be a boomer bust QB too 
Uh, good luck predicting which week he's going to boom or bust, but I would fade Bortles this week. Uh, given that for Leonard Fournette was close to playing last week and should be back in week four, uh, I would think he's ready to go now. Assuming that Fournette plays, you're going to start him as an RB1, of course, but if he's out again, then TJ Yeldon's going to be that mid to low RB2 based on volume alone. None of these wide receivers are safe, like we said last week, but Keelan Cole is still going to be in that mid-range flex play option with upside here. Um, again, it all depends on you know your matchups, uh, your, your, your risk tolerance, because Cole has that boomer bust ability. Austin's Farron Jenkins was actually third in targets this week, but uh, he's still just a streaming tight end two option. Again, uh, all these receivers are tied to an inconsistent Blake Bortles, which is going to make them inconsistent as well. But all that said, I think the Jacksonville defense will lead the way here. Uh, give me the Jaguars at home. I'm going to take Jacksonville too. Um, so the Jets are another team. And actually, this is the only this is the only one that I think anyone has confirmed to who's actually reached out to the Steelers for Le'Veon Bell. How how does he fit on this team? Well, uh, um, in general, here let's say that my response is going to be that Bell is going to be a downgrade from that elite RB one status, regardless of which team he goes to outside of Pittsburgh. Um, that said, I, like I said, I think Houston would be the best landing spot of the ones that we've discussed here. Um, there's potential on the Jets just because I think they're going to be trailing in a lot of games, which leads to more PPR points. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't hate it, but it all just depends, you know. It, it's hard to say. I mean, to me, it, it at least allows uh... – the Jets to have one running back that is startable instead of two people who you might get lucky if one of them scores well. Yeah, I mean, you're assuming that, though. You're assuming that the coaches are going to run Bell, but, uh, you know, is he even going to want to play for the Jets? That's the other question, too. That I think that's the big problem with the Steelers trying to find a trade partner is that they need, they need him to want to go to that team to sign an extension or else there's no reason for that team to really trade for him for half a season, right? He, he's going to go to the team that's going to pay him the most money. He's made that clear because the Steelers right now is his best option. Unfortunately, they're not meeting his price. That's fair. Um, I mean, if we're going to say cap space-wise – and talent-wise, I think Bell would be fantastic with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. I don't know that that's going to happen. Were they another rumor team? They might have been. Like I said, the Jets were the only one that I saw today that were that anyone had actually confirmed reached out. Everything else was just rumors. Yeah, I don't know, but I think that would make the most sense given that Todd Haley's there as well. I mean, honestly, I think that would be the best landing spot for Le'Veon Bell. Wow. Oh man, Cleveland! Nice, nice segue there. By the way, oh, I you know that wasn't even <laughs> intentional. I'm going to be completely honest here. But uh, the next game we're going to talk about is going to be Cleveland at Oakland, kicking off the mid-afternoon slate of games. Baker Mayfield season. All right, let's go. Mayfield showed us as soon as he stepped onto the field that Cleveland should have started him as soon as possible, starting Week One. Mayfield's a high-end QB2 for me this week and startable against a poor Oakland defense. Carlos Hyde is going to be the guy in the backfield right now, and even though he might not score two touchdowns again since it's not his son's birthday, he's a decent low on RB2 play here in what should be a close game. 
And we'll see if Duke Johnson gets more involved with Baker Mayfield than he was with Taylor, but I wouldn't start Johnson until we start seeing a little bit more from him. And similarly, I'm probably going to avoid the Browns pass catchers not named Jarvis Landry for now unless I'm desperate, but I will mention uh, we talked about Antonio Callaway in our waiver wire section last week, and we will again later tonight. But uh, Callaway is going to be an upside wide receiver for this week against a very burnable Oakland secondary. And honestly, it wouldn't shock me if Callaway finished this week with Will Fuller-type stats, something like three catches for 90 yards and two touchdowns uh, wouldn't be out of the question for me. Uh, again, we'll talk about Callaway more at the end of the show. Um, on the Oakland side here, uh, it's been a pretty rough start to Gruden's return to the NFL and Derek Carr should not be in your fantasy lineups in one quarterback leagues right now, especially given how well the Browns defense has been playing. Jordy Nelson had a big, big week against Miami, but I'm not trusting in a repeat of that performance. Uh, Nelson's still just a wide receiver five for me, but admittedly with a little bit upside now. And I don't know how you can trust Amari Cooper either, but I would still prefer Cooper or excuse me, Cooper over Nelson. Um, and I do have Cooper ranked as a boomer bust wide receiver four. The only reliable fantasy option really is Marshawn Lynch as a low-end RB2 here. Uh, Lynch has still got, got it, and uh, if he can find the end zone, uh, if Oakland can get close to it, uh, then he'll be fine in fantasy. So we will see. Personally, I believe in Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think he's going to plant the Cleveland Browns flag in the Coliseum on Sunday. Give me the Browns on the road. Oof. Oh, I can't. I never, never bet on the Browns. I'm going to take Oakland. I'm going to be a little different than you. Uh, see, normally I would never bet on the Browns, but uh, there were two quarterbacks that I was incredibly high on coming into the season and they were Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Mahomes clearly has exceeded all expectations. We will see about May about Mayfield. All right, so Cleveland defense. So Cleveland has usually been a team that you've wanted to play a defense against every week. Uh, their defense over the past three games have, what, five interceptions, six forced fumbles, and nine sacks? Are they? Are they – a defense that you want to own now, not just stream and a good matchup. I think they, you might want to own them. Um, I mean, yeah. And case in point, uh, in one of my leagues, I drafted the Patriots defense. I dropped them before week three, um, this past week. And I, I added Cleveland. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that they have a good pass rush, a, a decent secondary. And especially with Baker Mayfield starting, if he can keep these games close, then opposing quarterbacks are going to need to take some chances in the passing game. Um, yeah, I, I do think that they're they're a top 12 fantasy defense right now, uh, and we will definitely talk more about them in the waiver wire section. They're one of uh, two or three defenses that um, I, I do think uh, have potential and should be picked up this week. Next game here is going to be an NFC West showdown. Seattle at Arizona. Uh, you're starting Russell Wilson as a low-end QB1. Uh, the upside isn't quite there, those huge games we haven't really seen this year, but uh, he's good enough that you're not benching him unless you have a really good option to replace him with. And until Doug Baldwin comes back, it seems like Tyler Lockett's going to be a high-end wide receiver four or low-end wide receiver three as the top target in Seattle here. 
Uh, it seems like Pete Carroll finally made up his mind about the backfield too, and Chris Carson's going to be a flex play going forward, although I wouldn't expect a ton of production against the tough Cardinals run defense this week. Um, and honestly, that's really about it for Seattle. Uh, just when you start to maybe trust Will Disley, as we said, he's going to be inconsistent. Uh, and same with Brandon Marshall. And then finally, uh, for Seattle, their defense is going to be worth a look, too. We just talked about Cleveland's defense. Uh, they're no longer the the Legion of Boom here uh, in Seattle, but Earl Thomas is probably going to pick off at least uh, one of Josh Rosen's passes, uh, if not more. I mean, it is the rookie's first start, right? And on the Arizona side here, um, man, there's... Uh, I don't know how I feel about the the Arizona coaching staff throwing in Josh Rosen uh, when they're desperate in the fourth quarter to come back against the Bears, but uh, who knows? Maybe they were trying to recreate that Baker Mayfield magic, but regardless, we didn't really get to see a whole lot of Rosen, so we don't know that much about his target tendencies. What I will say is he showed some clear chemistry with Christian Kirk, and for now, I would still have Fitzgerald as a low-end flex play and Kirk as a desperation wide receiver for, but we will be talking about Christian Kirk in the waiver wire section, particularly in deeper leagues in case he becomes that kind of PPR machine. Um, you know, we saw that Sam Darnold really likes Quincy Nunwa, and the same might happen here for Kirk. And finally, David Johnson actually got used in the passing game, <laughs> got a touchdown, but until we see this offense operate with a little bit more efficiency, Johnson is still just going to be a low-end RB2 play in fantasy. I could see an ugly game here, as Seattle and Arizona always seem to uh, gut out their close divisional matchups, but I'll take the Seahawks in something like an ugly like 13-12 win on the road. I'm going to take the Seahawks, too. I was going to ask about Fitzgerald, but you kind of answered it in your blurb there. But I do want to point out that Josh Rosen... Reminds me of Eli Manning because he has that same doofy look on his face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I mean, you're not wrong, uh, but I, I mean, no, no, no disrespect to Eli Manning. He, the man has won two Super Bowls or two or no. Yeah. Yeah. It's two. Yeah. Not, okay. Yes. I, I know that all too well. <laughs> Both. Uh, yeah. Against the Patriots here. But uh, anyway. Um, yeah. We both like Seattle moving on. New Orleans at New York, um, Saints against the Giants here. The Saints defense is just terrible. Their secondary is letting so many big plays happen, and really until they stop a team from scoring, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas are going to be elite starts at their positions. Um, we'll see how Mark Ingram affects Kamara's touches, but uh, I'm not worried about Kamara regardless. Um, and Ingram, we'll see. His upside uh, is still an RB1 upside. We've seen... We've seen that the Saints can support two fantasy RB1s, but I think at the very least, Ingram will be a flex play. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> but outside of them, Ted Ginn's still a boomer bust flex play here. We saw some signs of life from Ben Watson as well. Uh, I will say, though, that the Giants are pretty good defending against opposing tight ends, so Watson is just a mid-range tight end, too, for me this week. Cameron Meredith also got a touchdown here, but I'm not adding him outside of deep leagues. It was Meredith's only target and only catch of the game. As for the Giants here, Eli Manning looked surprisingly good against Houston, and the Saints defense is bad, so that equals start Eli Manning, right? Uh, maybe, I guess. I, I still don't ever fully trust 
Manning. And honestly, given what we've seen in the past, would you? I, I guess I have him as a risk-reward QB2 play, low in QB2, but there is upside here. Barkley and Beckham, you're starting, of course. Uh, but also with Evan Ingram out four to six weeks with an MCL sprain, Sterling Shepard becomes interesting again. He'll be a viable start here as a mid-range wide receiver three with upside, given how terribly the Saints defense has been playing. Despite the touchdown, Red Ellison is not worth adding outside of very deep or two tight end leagues. I can't bet on the Giants here. I'll take the Saints in what should be another high-scoring game. Man, I want to take the Saints too. And I kind of want to talk about Eli because he's such an anomaly to me. If you think about it, like, I mean, he's he's a veteran quarterback that has arguably the best wide receiver in the league on his team, a great running back, a great tight end. I guess he's injured now and decent offensive supporting cast. And he still can't put anything together to be considered a QB one in fantasy. And that I just don't understand that. Uh, I mean, part of it is that Eli's always been inconsistent, but the other part of it is it, it seems like his arm strength has really declined. I, I think those two put together means that he's still going to you know, have some decent games. He's always been a, a fairly smart quarterback. It's just whether or not he can make those throws. And I mean, I don't want to compare you know, him to his brother, but he didn't have good arm strength either, and he made it work. Uh, barely at the end, and that was with an elite defense, uh, which Eli does not have. Yeah, but you could argue that his arm strength was declining well before he even got to that team. Yes, but I would also argue that, you know, Demarius Thomas in his prime plus Eric Decker in, I guess, his prime plus, you know, a healthy... Uh, Oh man, I'm blanking. Uh, Julius Thomas, who who was an elite tight end for for some time when healthy, were were probably better weapons than Eli has now. You think that that Odell Beckham was worse than Demarius Thomas at the time? In Demarius Thomas's prime, I would say they're equivalent. All right. Um, and and also the big part too that we haven't mentioned is the Giants' offense of offensive line which is awful right and, and that's fair but i don't know he has great skill position players on that team he does uh, i mean that really they need better play calling to help get these guys in space so they can create more yards after the catch but that's uh that's above our pay grade unfortunately <laughs> uh <laughs> we, we all think all all us fantasy gms think that we could you know coach a team but it, it is harder than it looks um despite some baffling decisions here and there but um, I will take the Saints uh, on the road. Did I already say that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take them too. Just All right. Uh, Eli. Yep. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, San Francisco uh, at the L.A. Chargers. Uh, just heartbreaking. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Jimmy Garoppolo fan. Uh, Torres ACL. Very sad to think about what might have been one of the league's most exciting offenses with, led by Garoppolo and Jared McKinnon. But instead, we get the C.J. Beathard show. Uh, this probably does not bode well for the 49ers, but it may not be as devastating as many might think for fantasy purposes because if you'll recall last year, Carlos Hyde was actually a PPR machine in C.J. Beathard, six games played. Um, so I still have Matt Breda ranked as a mid-range RB3 flex play, assuming he can go this week. He did have a hyperextended knee. It looked much worse than it actually was last week. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be done for the season. His knee kind of just buckled here. Um, 
assuming he plays, I think he's still going to be all right because, you know, Beathard is going to check it down a ton. Uh, if he's out, then Alfred Morris should fill that role, be good for at least this week. And likewise for Marquise Goodwin and George Kittle, both were inconsistent with Beathard under center last year, but they both also had some big games as well. And you have to remember that that was prior to San Francisco upgrading their offensive line a little bit this past offseason. Um, for me, Kittle drops off from being a tight end one, but he's still a high end tight end two for me this week. And Goodwin also drops down, but he's still going to be a boomer bust wide receiver four. I wouldn't write these guys off completely or drop them just to drop them because Garoppolo's out. As for the Chargers here, uh, they're pretty good. Uh, they're probably they probably would be the best team in the AFC West if not for the red hot Chiefs. Uh, Rivers is going to be a nice QB1 play here at home against a not-great San Francisco defense. Gordon, of course, you're starting as an elite RB1. And Eckler's still going to be a decent RB3 or flex play despite a pretty quiet day against the Rams. Now, you know, you're still starting Keenan Allen as a low-end wide receiver one despite a rough showing this past week. But the big story here is Mike Williams. Uh, I've mentioned him two weeks in a row now on the waiver wire section that a breakout could be coming in a big way, and here it is. Uh, clearly, Rivers trusts Williams as both a red zone target and a deep threat, and he is now a must-add, much like Kenny Galladay, if he's still available in your league. Williams is a high-end wide receiver three this week with wide receiver one upside. Antonio Gates also caught a few balls here, um, but he doesn't need to be owned. Honestly, I would have taken the Chargers even uh, without Garoppolo's season-ending injury here. Uh, I will definitely take the Chargers against C.J. Beathard. Yeah, I'm going to take the Chargers too. Um, just, I don't, I, don't, I don't have anything else to say besides I'm super sad about Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean, you owned him in our, in our Dynasty I know, League. I know, I have high hopes for him. Yeah, um, honestly, I... I People are kind of wondering if they might uh, trade for a quarterback, but I don't see that happening. I don't think San Francisco is ready to compete this year regardless. They just gave him such a rich contract, right. too. They're not going to do that. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why the 49ers would go and trade for, like, a Case Keenum type. But why would they? Like, they, were, they weren't going to win it this year anyways. They, they were a, a fringe wild card spot. Yes, I agree, um, which is why I don't really get some of the speculation uh, on Twitter and such that they will trade for someone. So um, I am in the boat that C.J. Beathard will be the guy barring injury for the rest of the year. Yeah, I agree. They'll, they'll, they'll bring somebody else in too. But yep. Be, yeah. All right, uh, the next game is going to be the Sunday night game, primetime matchup of AFC North rivals here, Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Joe Flacco has scored 15 points or more every week thus far and is the quarterback 13 in fantasy, although this is b before Ben Roethlisberger played tonight, um, so it may bump him down a spot. But regardless, Flacco has very good offensive weapons with John Brown and Michael Crabtree, and he's got a productive run game. He's a legit high-end quarterback, too, to stream in what could be a shootout between these two rivals Sunday night. Um, and then running back-wise, sadly, the numbers do not lie, and Buck Allen is a better flex start right now than Alex Collins, given his involvement in the red zone and the passing game. Even though Alex Collins did salvage his day with a touchdown, uh, Allen is clearly the better choice here fantasy-wise. Um, if he's out there on your waiver wire, uh, regardless of whether or not you own Alex Collins, he's been an RB2 in PPR and needs to be owned. Um, 
John Brown, Michael Crabtree here, both PPR wide receiver three options, even though I prefer Brown by a little bit. Uh, and that about covers it for the Ravens. On the Steelers side here, we'll see how things go tonight. But barring some kind of major injury, Roethlisberger should be a solid low-end quarterback one. Um, James Conner, you're starting as a low-end RB1. And things are potentially looking good for his owners, given the news that Pittsburgh's willing to trade Le'Veon Bell for the right price. Um, you can't like like we said, you can't drop Le'Veon Bell because he could easily become the starter for another team. Uh, or maybe they would sign him if Connor were to get hurt. But regardless, things aren't looking great for you so far. You just got to hold on to him, hope for the best. Um, if you are going to trade him, make sure you're not selling too low. Uh, again, I don't think that he's going to be that elite RB1 anywhere outside of Pittsburgh. But I do think, you know, spots that we mentioned, Cleveland, Houston, uh, and uh, potentially other teams, he would still be a, a very viable fantasy running back. Uh, I, I've also seen some rumors that New England would be interested, but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that there's a 0% chance that Pittsburgh would ever trade Le'Veon Bell to New England, one of their biggest rivals. Um, in terms of Pittsburgh here, uh, you're starting both Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, assuming that Jesse James and Vance McDonald split staps evenly again, uh, you know, I, I would probably fade both of them, but clearly McDonald has that big playability. But the uh, the Ravens do defend opposing tight ends pretty well, and these divisional games are always tough to call. Um, I will err on the side of caution and take the home team Steelers here. I'm going to take the Steelers too, and... I'm not going to ask a question about Le'Veon Bell. I'm curious about John Brown. Is he that team's wide receiver one right now over Crabtree? I don't know that there's a huge distinction, but I, th I think he would be the 1A and Crabtree would be the 1B. Do you think he ends up at the end of the year a viable fantasy wide receiver too? Because I think he does. I don't think it's out of the question. Uh, I mean, his... He was always talented. He he reminds me a lot of Stefan Diggs. The problem has been staying healthy. Um, I but, mean, that's Diggs' problem too. Right, exactly. But, you know, uh, part of it was the sickle cell trait, and that, you know, prevents him from healing quickly as far as I understand it medically uh, when he does get some of those smaller injuries. So that's the that's the concern. But as long he's, as he's healthy, he certainly has the talent to be a fantasy wide receiver too, and, and Flacco has that connection with him. So, yeah, I think, I think there's a, a very decent chance that he could end up a uh, wide receiver too at the end of this year. All right, moving on to the final game, Monday Night Football. Kansas City Chiefs at Denver Broncos. This should be another great game to watch here. Very excited about it. Uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about the Chiefs. Mahomes is my top fantasy quarterback this week and probably the rest of the season. Travis Kelsey is the top fantasy tight end for me this week and probably the rest of the season. Um, Tyreek Hill had a, a bit of a quiet day against San Francisco, but he's still a must-start wide receiver one every week. Do not let that eight-point showing discourage you. Mahomes just barely underthrew Hill on a 50-yard touchdown bomb where Hill was open. Uh, but because of the underthrow, Richard Sherman was able to bat the ball away at the last second. Um, don't get cute. You're starting Hill. Uh, Sammy Watkins, he's shown that he's a viable starting weekly wide receiver three, depending on if defenses choose to shut down Hill. Uh, then Watkins will get open. 
Kareem Hunt had a very nice two-touchdown day as well, but I'm going to stick with what I said about Hunt last week, and that's going to be that if you can sell high on Hunt, I probably would. Um, he had 18 carries for just 44 yards, and they both use, they used both Spencer Ware and Damian Williams in the passing game over Hunt. I think that Hunt's going to be sort of like Jay Ajayi. They're both on good offenses, but they're going to be a little bit touchdown defend excuse me, touchdown dependent here. Um, and again, as, as with the bet that I made with Los last week, I, I see Hunt as more of a, an RB2 finish this season than an RB1. Um, if you can get an RB1 type of return for him, I'd sell. But again, I'm not saying that I would sell Hunt just to sell him because he certainly has big upside week to week in this high-octane offense. On the Denver side here, um, Case Keenum does not look good. Uh, a lot of us questioned um, the amount of money that Denver paid him after just one decent year in Minnesota, but here we are. Uh, but honestly, for fantasy-wise, I like him uh, with you know as a high upside QB2 this week. Uh, all of the Chiefs' opponents have to keep up with their high scoring, uh, and that means I like Keenum. And I like Sanders and Thomas as well. Both have, both wide, excuse me, mid-range wide receiver twos this week for me, maybe more. And if you're just looking at the box score, uh, Royce Freeman didn't all of a sudden seize the the starting job here. Uh, Philip Lindsay got himself ejected for throwing a punch, and I still prefer him to Royce Freeman this week. Uh, if we're talking flex plays between the Denver running backs. However, I will mention that while it's unlikely, there's a small chance that the league could choose to suspend Lindsay for a week. Um, make sure just to check on his status this week uh, if you are a Lindsay owner. And if you were to miss the game, we saw that Devontae Booker would probably become a desperation flex play here as he was the guy that stepped into the passing back role uh, after Lindsay was ejected this past week. Game-wise, uh, I'm not betting against Kansas City until someone shows us that they can stop that juggernaut of an offense. Uh, I think the Chiefs will continue their unbeaten streak this week. Give me Kansas City. Kansas City is an easy bet. Well, right uh, I mean, we all thought Minnesota was an easy bet this past week, so you never know, but uh, I will. I Yeah, but Minnesota's never, re- like, at least so far this year, they haven't really blown anybody out. They haven't really – they've won – when they won, they won, but like they didn't really, I don't know. For me, I wasn't super, super impressed. Yeah, and, and I think there was certainly some luck involved. Uh, some of those Cousins interceptions shouldn't have been interceptions, and, and, you know, really the turnovers killed them. I don't think they were as bad as the, the score suggests, but again, I, I do think on the flip side that Kansas City is as good as their scores have suggested. Oh, yeah, like that's no question. You watch any highlights or any of the games, like it's obvious. Yep. Um, all right, that is going to conclude the previews here. Uh, to, something to note, we do have our first buys this week. We have Washington on a bye week. So if you own Alex Smith, Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, or Jordan Reed, or any of the wide receivers, I hope not, um, you will need to find replacements for them. And likewise, Carolina will be on a buy. So Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, and Devin Funchess, uh, you will need to replace those guys in your lineups. Going through the injury report here. Uh, Quarterbacks-wise, we have, sadly, Jimmy Garoppolo, that left ACL tear. You can go ahead and drop him in all redraft formats. 
Uh, Marcus Mariota still has that elbow contusion. Uh, he's having trouble with numbness in his hand here and there. Uh, Gabbard started week three, but Mariota stepped in after Gabbard got concussed. He's, you know, uh, excuse me, by he, I mean, Mariota is probably questionable for week four, but given his injury and the state of the Titans offense, I maintain my stance from last week's podcast that Mariota is droppable in shallower leagues. Tyrod Taylor, uh, concussion, hopefully he's all right, but fantasy-wise, it really doesn't matter. The Baker-Mayfield era has begun in Cleveland, and Taylor is also droppable in all one-quarterback redraft formats. Running backs here, we've got Adrian Peterson with an ankle sprain, but he looked very good against Green Bay, and it sounds like it's minor and he's likely to play week four. We've got Rex Burkhead with a neck injury. He's questionable for week four. Uh, given the Patriots' track record of being silent on injuries, who knows? But like I said, uh, he's droppable for me as well in shallower leagues. Leonard Fournette with the hamstring strain. He's missed two weeks now. Questionable for week four. And this Jacksonville offense really struggled without him. I think they're going to try and get him back if he can. Uh, Yeldon filled in uh, and was a fine fantasy RB2 here if he plays. But if Fournette plays, then he'll be an RB1. Dalvin Cook, we've got uh, with that hamstring issue, uh, questionable for week four. It originally sounded minor, but he missed week three, and it actually might be a blessing in disguise if he misses another week, given that they play a tough Thursday night matchup against the Rams. Uh, if he plays, uh, obviously RB1, but uh, d we'll see if he actually suits up. Devontae Freeman here with that knee contusion, still likely out for another two to three weeks. Um, I had recommended selling Freeman on last week's podcast, but I'm actually going to flip-flop here. Uh, maybe hold on to Freeman if you're 3-0 or 2-1 and had a really good start to the season and don't need him just yet because Matt Ryan has been on fire. And as we mentioned, the Falcons are going to need to score a lot of points for the rest of the season given the state of their defense here. Freeman's injury still scares me a little bit, but uh, you know he's also got top 10 running back potential when he returns. Joe Mixon has that right knee surgery. He's out for another two to three weeks, but it does sound like he's on track in his rehab and recovery. Certainly would hold on to him. Jay Jai here uh, missed this past week with a back injury. He'll be questionable for week four, but according to Doug Peterson, uh, it sounded pretty optimistic that Ajayi could play this week. Similarly for Darren Sproles, uh, with that hamstring strain, he missed the last couple of weeks, but he's listed as day-to-day -day and questionable for week four. LaShawn McCoy with the cracked rib cartilage, he missed week three and is questionable for week four. Uh, if McCoy was dropped, it's worth taking a look, uh, given that Buffalo's offense looked much better with Josh Allen even against Minnesota. Again, that was a little fluky, but if Allen can at least be competent, then McCoy can be an RB3 reflex play going forward in PPR. Marlon Max got that foot and hamstring issue. He'll be questionable for week four, but again, I would probably avoid all the Indianapolis running backs if possible due to that messy committee here. On the wide receiver side here, we've got Doug Baldwin. He's still out with that grade two partial MCL tear. Um, he's going to be out for week four and likely another two to three weeks after that. Alshon Jeffries still coming back off of that rotator cuff rehab uh, he'll be questionable for week four as well. Same as last week on Jeffrey. Monitors of the practice reports coming out of Philly here. 
We've got A.J. Green with a groin injury. He'll be questionable for week four. Uh, He did miss almost half of that game this past week, although he says it's minor and he's likely to play. Uh, It will be good to monitor the practice reports coming out of Cincinnati this week. Anthony Miller uh, has that left shoulder dislocation, unlikely to play week four, um, potentially season-ending, but again, uh, not that you you probably weren't starting him anyway. Uh, Miller would be fine to drop if you were stashing him purely for upside here. On the tight ends, we've got Jack Doyle with a hip injury. He missed week three and is questionable for week four. We really haven't heard a whole lot on this, so it's anybody's guess here. Stay tuned into reports out of Indianapolis on Doyle. Evan Ingram, he's got the right MCL sprain out four to six weeks. Depends on your league's IR roster rules and your current record. But I wouldn't necessarily mind dropping him uh, depending on your needs. Ingram was a little bit inconsistent even before the injury, and they're going to be productive waiver wire players if you're 0-3 or 1-2 and and need wins now. Greg Olson with a foot fracture. Uh, he's likely out another two to four weeks, although he did not have surgery, so there is that chance that he's going to play again this year. Much like Ingram, it depends on your record and your roster settings to see if it's worth stashing him for that tight end one upside. And then finally, we mentioned real quick last week too, but Greg Zerline with a groin injury, questionable for week four. Um, Again, he's just a kicker, but he is one of the best kickers. So depending on your bench size and your roster settings uh, may or may not be worth holding on to. And of course, the most important part here, the waiver wire adds, if you are missing some of these injured players, we've got Baker Mayfield with 6.8% owned in ESPN leagues and 13% owned in Yahoo leagues. Mayfield is far from a sure thing, but he has good weapons and a good offensive line in Cleveland. We saw a rookie quarterback blow up last year with Deshaun Watson, and Mayfield has a chance to be that guy this year. Uh, and he has a nice start uh, with a good matchup against Cle- or excuse me against Oakland this week. Andy Dalton we talked about 28.6% owned in ESPN leagues, 33% owned in Yahoo. I get the hesitation to trust the red rifle here, but uh, Dalton is the QB 11 through three weeks uh, before the Monday night game, and Cincinnati is playing well with Bill Lazor. Dalton's been a fantasy quarterback one in years past, uh, worth taking a shot on him. Joe Flacco, 8.2% owned in ESPN, 14% owned in Yahoo. Flacco's ownership percentage actually decreased from last week. Again, like with Dalton, we've been talking about these guys for a couple weeks now, and they're not sexy names, but they're low-end quarterback ones in fantasy thus far. Flacco's got another decent matchup this week in primetime against a mediocre Pittsburgh defense that's playing well tonight, but uh, still has plenty of holes. Ryan Tannehill we talked about as well. Again, hard to trust him, but uh, oh my goodness, what a catch by Mike Evans. That was insane. Sorry for the interruption, but uh, if uh, if you're if you're listening to this, this was the, the huge catch at uh, close to the two-minute mark in this game um, before in the second quarter. Anyway, sorry about that. Back to uh, Ryan Zanahill here. 7.8% owned in ESPN, 8% owned in Yahoo!, Uh, Far from a safe play, but Tannehill's been playing well, and the Patriots' defense has yet to stop anyone outside of the 0-3 Texans in Week 1. Tannehill's going to be a risk-reward mid-range QB2 this week. On to the running backs here. We talked about Aaron Jones last week. 
Still just 51.3% owned in ESPN League, 64% owned in Yahoo. Jones looked good on limited touches during the game against Washington. Jamal Williams has not looked great, and I think Jones is the best running back in Green Bay. He's got RB2 upside if he can win the lead job in an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. Kerryon Johnson, 69.8% owned in ESPN, 75% owned in Yahoo. Johnson looked good against the Patriots, clearly the best running back in Detroit, although his workload is going to be a concern until we see Detroit utilize him like a three-down back. He's going to be a flex play going forward, uh, but he does have RB1 upside if they ever decide to use him like a workhorse. Giovanni Bernard, 80.8% owned in ESPN, 82% owned in Yahoo. Um, He's owned a lot here, but I just wanted to mention him because he should be 100% owned. As we saw against Carolina, he's a high-end PPR running back too as long as Mixon is out, which could be another few weeks. Buck Allen, Javorius Allen, we talked about 39.3% owned in ESPN, 27% owned in Yahoo. Uh, It's criminally low ownership percentage. Allen is not a sexy name, but he's the RB13 right now in PPR. And as long as the Ravens keep using him near the goal line and as a receiving back, he's going to be a startable RB2 or RB3 in PPR formats. His ownership should be much, much higher. Matt Breda, 86.4% owned in ESPN, 86 point, excuse me, 86% owned in Yahoo. Uh, he's another guy who's already owned in most leagues, so why am I talking about him? Well, if the Breda owner decides to drop him, either because of the injury or because Garoppolo is done for the season, as we said, that does not necessarily mean that the 49ers' other players are not worth owning in fantasy. Breda is still worth picking up if he gets dropped, can be a flex, maybe even a PPR RB2 if he gets enough checkdown throws from C.J. Beathard. Chris Carson, too, uh, owned in a lot of leagues, 70% in ESPN, 72% Yahoo. Again, just bringing him up because if he gets, or excuse me, if he did get dropped prematurely, uh, it looks like Pete Carroll's finally willing to give him the volume. And even though it might not be great, it might not be pretty, he could still be a viable flex play. Austin Eckler, 54.4% owned in ESPN, 60% owned in Yahoo. Eckler had a quiet week against a good Rams defense, but he's still a decent weekly flex play given how much the Chargers utilize their running backs in the offense. TJ Yeldon, 53.3% owned in ESPN, 50% owned in Yahoo. Fournette may return this week, but maybe not. If Fournette does miss another week, Yeldon's a PPR RB2 for another week. And finally, Latavius Murray, 77.6% owned in ESPN, 71% owned in Yahoo. I know, I know, terrible call last week, but who could have predicted that awful game by Minnesota? Even in a tough matchup this week, if Dalvin Cook misses this game, Murray's going to be a decent RB3 or flex play purely based on volume. And on to the wide receivers here. Kenny Galladay, 82.2% owned in ESPN, 79% owned in Yahoo, but should be 100% owned. He's the wide receiver 10 in PPR through three weeks. He's a wide receiver one. There's no reason for him to not be owned in any league anywhere. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't have anything more to say. That's all. Um, Mike Williams, 33.0% owned in ESPN, 56% owned in Yahoo. Uh, We've been saying to pick him up for the last two weeks, uh, and now you're probably going to have to spend big to get him. 
He's got Rivers' trust and can be a wide receiver three, maybe even a wide receiver two for the rest of the season as the Chargers' biggest red zone target and deep threat. Mike Williams needs to be owned. Calvin Ridley, 40.8% owned in ESPN, 44% owned in Yahoo. He's not going to score three touchdowns every week, but Atlanta has lost major players on defense, and Matt Ryan's going to be throwing a lot this year. When defenses focus on stopping Julio, Ridley's going to have some big days. He could finish the wide, the season as a wide receiver three, maybe even a wide receiver two. Quincy Inunua, 66.5% owned in ESPN, 66% owned in Yahoo. He's going to be a consistent PPR wide receiver three or flex play as long as he's the top target for the Jets and Sam Darnold. Tyler Boyd, 23.7% owned in ESPN, 17% owned in Yahoo. We mentioned last week that Boyd wasn't a fluke, and he had the potential to be a wide receiver two behind A.J. Green in Cincinnati, and we saw it again this past week. Again, he's another guy that you're probably going to have to pay up for to add now, but still worth it. Chris Godwin just scored a touchdown, or barely missed scoring a touchdown, I should say, in this game here. Uh, 37.7% owned in ESPN, 42% owned in Yahoo. Uh, Again, Chicago might be a tough matchup in week four, but in deeper leagues, uh, Godwin's a viable start as a boomer bust flex play. Tyler Lockett, 69.1% owned in ESPN, 70% owned in Yahoo. Another week, another touchdown, and as long as Doug Baldwin is out, Lockett can be a low-end wide receiver three or flex option. John Brown, 47.9% owned in ESPN, 63% owned in Yahoo. Brown didn't score this week, but he's still a top target in this Baltimore offense, and he'll be a decent flex start in a good matchup at Pittsburgh week four. Antonio Callaway, 16.5% owned in ESPN, 33% owned in Yahoo. Again, with Baker Mayfield under center, Callaway has enormous fantasy potential. This might be your last chance to add Callaway before he has a big, big game against the bad Oakland secondary that just allowed some big plays to the Miami wide receivers. Told you to add Mike Williams. Before he blew up, Callaway might be the guy this week. Keelan Cole, 67.9% ESPN, 74% Yahoo. We mentioned that the Jacksonville wide receivers, Cole included, would be a little bit boomer bust with Bortles on our waiver sec- on our waiver section last week, and unfortunately, it was more bust than boom for Cole in week three. But that said, he's still a viable candidate as a flex play going into a decent week four matchup. Geronimo Allison, 34.3% owned in ESPN, 34% owned in Yahoo. Again, another week, another long touchdown for Allison. As long as he's catching balls from Aaron Rodgers, he's going to be a boomer bust wide receiver four, but you could do worse. Christian Kirk, 6.2% owned in ESPN, 3% owned in Yahoo. I don't trust this Arizona offense yet, but Josh Rosen seemed to really like targeting Kirk when he entered the game against Chicago. This could be a Quincy and Nunwa type situation where the offense in general is not going to be great, but you can follow the target share to PPR production in fantasy points. Moving on to the tight ends here, Eric Ebron, 35.6% owned in ESPN, 55% owned in Yahoo. Jack Doyle may get more targets each week and be a decent tight end too, but if he's out, Eric Ebron has a high ceiling as a preferred red zone option for Andrew Luck. And Dallas Goddard here, 1.9% owned in ESPN, 2% owned in Yahoo. 
Again, Goddard's going to be an unreliable tight end play in fantasy, especially once Alshon Jeffrey returns. However, he will have some big weeks here and there, and he's going to be one of those rare tight end handcuffs if anything were to happen to Zach Ertz. Finally, a few kickers and defenses to mention. Um, Dan Bailey, 50.5% owned in ESPN and 66% owned in Yahoo. And then Sam Ficken, 47.0% owned in ESPN, 10% owned in Yahoo. Both of these kickers had bad weeks in week three after we mentioned him or mentioned them in the waiver wire section uh, for very different reasons. Uh, Minnesota just couldn't score anything and uh, the Rams were scoring too much. So neither of these guys got to kick many field goals. But stay the course here. The Vikings are not going to get nearly shut out every week and get zero, excuse me, zero field goals. And the Rams, on the flip side, are not going to score a touchdown on every single possession every week and not need any field goals. Both of these guys are still good plays and can still be started and should be added despite a bad week three performance from both. Defenses here. We talked about Seattle, 7.0% owned in ESPN, 24% owned in Yahoo!, they might not be the Legion of Boom anymore, but they're still a good streaming play against a rookie Josh Rosen in his first start in the league. Cleveland we talked about as well, 54.7% owned in ESPN, 56% owned in Yahoo. The Browns have been a top five fantasy defense through three weeks, and there's no reason not to continue using them against a struggling Oakland offense unless you have better options. And finally, we have the Chargers defense here, 61.0% owned in ESPN, 58% owned in Yahoo. The Chargers fantasy defense has been terrible thus far, but they get C.J. Beathard this week at home, and they're worth a shot if you need someone, even without Joey Bosa. And that is going to conclude our waiver wire section. As always, uh, if you need more help with specific fantasy questions, you can find us on Twitter, I am at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. You can reach uh, Los at FFA underscore L-O-S. Again, give him a shout out uh, in a particularly difficult week for him. And of course, you can find our producer at FFA underscore Dan. That's D-A-N. As always, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Click that subscribe button, get your fantasy advice every week, whether you are listening on your computer or your mobile device. As always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Oh, I get to say it. Thanks, addicts. Ooh, I don't know if that was as good as Losa's usual. Thanks, addicts. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I didn't know. All right, you, you want one more take here? All right. Thanks, addicts. That was pretty good. Pretty good. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there, and the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there. They're going to hold on to everything the disease steals away. And the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen by funding research, advancing public policy, and spurring scientific breakthroughs, and by providing local support to those living with the disease and their caregivers, or easing the burden until we accomplish our goal. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight.